Hi, good day. You're listening to Free City Radio. This is the 116th edition of the show. We have a new episode every week. Thank you so much for listening. Today on the program, I'm going to be featuring a conversation that I had with Emma Beretta, who is a youth activist from Fridays for Future in New York City. Of course, climate justice protests led by high school students, university students, uh, even primary school students around the world were a center of global attention pre-pandemic. These organizational networks protesting to draw attention to the climate crisis have sustained during the pandemic, but obviously given the restrictions of lockdowns, the amount of on-the-street mobilization was curtailed. The networks continued, the organizing continued, and I thought it would be really interesting to have a conversation with a youth activist in New York City, which was one of the centers of the major climate justice protests as part of the Fridays for Future movement, which of course builds off generations of mobilization uh, for environmental justice, for climate justice, movements that have often been led by indigenous people around the world. Fridays for Future in New York City organized major protests with hundreds of thousands of people in the year before the pandemic. And one of the organizers was Emma Beretta, uh, who is going to be on the program today. This conversation looks at the organizing work of Fridays for Future, how it sustained the challenges it faced during the pandemic, and also future plans. The interview also touches upon the topic of climate anxiety for youth, looking at the ways that the creeping, actually now rapidly advancing climate crisis is creating panic and fear amongst many youth who instead of freezing are organizing. And I think that that's a really interesting, inspiring, important example that is being set by youth. Emma speaks about trying to overcome that anxiety to work towards collective action, talks about the inspiring nature of protests and shares some memories from organizing in Fridays for Future in New York City. This is a conversation I recorded between Montreal and Brooklyn where Emma lives. And it was really great to get a chance to speak with her. Uh, here's uh, my conversation with Emma Barata from Fridays for Future in New York City. So I guess first, just to start, um, people will have heard of Fridays for Future, I think a lot of listeners um, around the world, and the mass student mobilization that took place uh, to draw attention to the urgency of the climate crisis, but also to call for climate justice and to highlight um, the realities of how climate change is disproportionately impacting um, communities already marginalized in the contemporary context, both within the US, in Canada, but also internationally. So I guess first to start, can you just um, introduce yourself and talk a little bit about Fridays for Future in New York City? Um, obviously a very important center politically. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, so my name is Emma Barretta. Um, I'm 16 years old and I started organizing with Fridays for Future in New York City when I was 12. So um, I've been a part of it for a while now. Um, it was founded shortly after Greta Thunberg founded um, Fridays for Future in general. 
uh, and one of the co-founders was Alexandria Villasenor, um, who would strike outside of the UN, and then she sort of brought more people in to strike with her there. Um, and from, from there, because there are so many youth in New York City who are interested um, in stopping the climate crisis, it's, it's really grown. Um, I think that in 2019, that's when we had 350,000 people take to the streets um, for a march on September uh, 20th. I think that was probably like the peak of our movement. And then after the pandemic, we've been slowly um, building it back up. But yeah, I would say that New York City um, is just uh, sort of a mecca for, uh, for youth who are interested in the climate crisis. So I believe in many ways, and this has been underlined by so many activists around the world, the pandemic illustrated the impacts of the climate crisis in regards to um, how communities who are already struggling with um, systemic racism, with um, systemic economic marginalization were disproportionately impacted. So in the same way the pandemic impacted communities in a disproportionate way, the climate crisis is, and we see that in New York City. Um, So I'm just wondering, can you talk a little bit about why students in New York felt it was very important to protest for climate justice and maybe some of what you're doing right now. Yeah, completely. I think that um, like a lot of students in New York are very aware of, of current events and like politics in general. Um, and we're all just like, we're, we're very frustrated that like this is, we're having to put in all the work to stop this. It's going to disproportionately impact us and the people who are fueling the climate crisis, it's not going to impact them as much. Um, And I think we've also seen around us the impacts of the climate crisis. That's like another reason why students are very concerned in the city. Um, I know, for instance, the North Brooklyn pipeline, uh, which is in in, um, like Greenpoint, it disproportionately will impact um, black and brown communities and youth. Um, and like the, the asthma levels there are skyrocketing because of this pipeline. Um, so I think there are lots of examples like that around the city where um, it's, it's very easy to see how this impacts um, groups who are already marginalized more than others. I, I'm sure you also remember the impacts of Hurricane Sandy. You must have been a kid at that time, but I, I know that in Brooklyn, uh, it was quite serious, also in the East Village. Yeah, for sure. Um, I know I was so young, I, I barely remember, and luckily my house wasn't impacted too much, but um, like our basement was flooded. But I had friends who lived in Red Hook, which was horribly flooded. Um, and they, like, one of my friend's dads had to go out and save someone. Um, he had to, like, swim out. And I think uh, incidents like that, and also more, um, more recently, Hurricane Ida, um, sort of showed how these events can really um, impact low-income communities. Thanks so much for sharing that, Emma. Um, so could you just talk with us a bit about what it felt like for you to participate in those mobilizations to protest on the street? You've mentioned just in our conversation that you've been involved in this movement since you were 12. So how was being on the streets and protesting? How did it feel? What what was the vibe for you? Yes, I love the mass protests. I think they just 
They feel so empowering. And also with a lot of climate work, you're going to meetings, um, like you have calls, you're writing emails. It can feel really lonely sometimes. So when you're, you have these enormous gatherings um, where there are so many people together, you can just see the power of everyone who cares. And especially with, with youth who are your age, I know there are a lot of people who uh, are in high school in their everyday life. Maybe they're not thinking about the climate crisis as much. So um, as someone who's like being environmentally conscious and is really concerned about a lot of these issues, um, it's just, it's so great to see all these kids coming out and um, joining the movement with you, even if it's only for a day, because um, you, you know that they really care and it makes you feel less alone. Do you have any specific memories of the, the mass protests uh, for climate justice over recent years that, that you'd like to share? Yes, I remember on March 25th, which was our, our last protest, um, I, it's, the protest started at Borough Hall, which is near to my school. I didn't think I would get that many people from my school to, to walk out. But then I got there and I saw all these people from my school that I knew and I had my megaphone and everyone was just like so impressed. The next day, um, everyone, uh, or I guess Monday since it was on a Friday, they, um, they were all like, wow, that was, that was so cool. And it, it made me so happy to see that they respected the work and that, because if you have a respect for it, maybe you'll join the movement yourself. And I was just, I was so pleased that they, that they showed up and that maybe they'll eventually join the movement too. So everybody gathered at Borough Hall and what happened next? Yes, um, after we gathered at Borough Hall, we had a short rally there with a few speakers and then we marched across the Brooklyn Bridge um, to Foley Square where we had a few more speakers um, as well. And as we were marching, we chanted um, and people were holding signs. It was a lot of fun. How was marching across the Brooklyn Bridge? I loved it. I think I think I prefer um, marching to to rallies because sometimes when there are rallies, you can tell people in the audience are a bit bored. But I think everyone enjoys marching, um, and we we had a beautiful day for it. And everyone was like very into the chants. We had plenty of megaphones, so it was a good time. I guess a lot of people driving by will see you. I mean, marching is so great for visibility. It's really great for visibility. I know there were a lot of tourists walking across the bridge, so they saw us all marching as well. Um, and then I think we also got some drone footage of, of everyone marching across the bridge, so then people could also see it on social media, which was great. Often when people um, try to grapple with the reality of climate crisis, it might seem so massive that it's hard to understand how to act, right? Um, people of all ages. Um, I think anybody alive today on the planet, you know, when we read the science, uh, and the science is very clear about um, a variety of issues, whether it's the glacier shelves that are are melting, whether it's the rising CO2 levels, uh, the warming oceans. I mean, I think for anybody who's processing the very rigorous and difficult work that has gone into tracking climate change on a scientific level, it can feel very overwhelming. Um, students around the world, despite that, are taking action, but people of all ages too. I'm just wondering, like, for you, uh, if you have any reflections as, as a student, why it's important to try to act. I mean, I, 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 I realize, you know, sometimes you know, you have moments like you described where your fellow students come out and the mobilization 
um, is great. There's results, but sometimes people don't show up for meetings. You know, you might be, you know, waiting and just a few people come. It doesn't always work. Um, but there's a persistence that, you know, students have shown in wanting to address the climate crisis. So I'm just wondering if you had any thoughts about that. Yeah, yeah, completely. I think it can be really overwhelming. I know I had like an anxiety attack when the last IPCC report came out. Um, and I think a lot of other people who are reading these things did as well, um, just because it can be like really shocking to see these facts about your future and then to try to reflect. Um, and I think it can be discouraging sometimes. I know during the pandemic, um, Friday's future in New York City was basically re- reduced to two people. It was me and one other girl, and we had to rebuild the entire organization. Um, so I think there, there can be moments of discouragement, but I think just remembering that if you are persistent, um, people will start coming to meetings. You just need to, you need to talk to people about it, um, and you need to try to get the word out. Um, that might seem vague, but I think just like generally talking, using social media, um, people will start coming. Now our organization is like 150 people. Um, so the, everything will grow, even if it seems like you're starting out very small at first. And I think personally for myself, being a climate activist has helped reduce my climate anxiety a lot because I feel like at least I'm doing something. Like if I were just being complacent, I don't know how I'd be able to face myself if all these impacts um, that are predicted to happen if we take no action do happen. Like, uh, I just won't be able to live with myself. So I think remembering that for people and thinking, if I take action now, I'm gonna probably feel better in the future, even if it doesn't have all the impacts I want it to. I think remembering that is the key to taking action. Thanks for sharing that, Emma. For people who aren't familiar, um, you use the term climate anxiety. I've heard of it, of course, but I think it's um, something important to maybe break down for people who who don't know the term and maybe even are feeling that but don't haven't heard it phrased in that way. Yeah, for sure. I think climate anxiety can take different forms for many people. Uh, for me personally, it's usually I'm thinking about my future, how it's not going to look um, like the way that my um, parents are living their lives now, my adult life is not gonna look like that. And just this this fearing of the unknown, um, that's what anxiety is when it comes to the climate crisis and not knowing how this is gonna end up. I know that um, for a lot of people who have experienced um, traumatic like climate events, um, that can also come up in their climate anxiety. I know whenever there are extreme weather events for me, like Hurricane Ida, um, and there were a few other hurricanes over the summer, there was also smog over New York City for a couple of days over the summer. I think things like that, um, they always trigger my climate anxiety. Um, And it's just when I start worrying about my future, I become preoccupied with it. And for me, it can get to such a level where I can't really function and do other things like when the IPCC report came out, um, I wasn't really able to do any of my homework that night. All I could do was think about it. Um, so I think that it can take many different forms for different people, but that at its core is what climate anxiety is, just worrying about what your future is going to look like in the light of a climate crisis. The report you mentioned, can you maybe just share briefly the report, why it's important, the organization behind it for people who aren't familiar with the acronym? Yes. Um, so... Basically, there are these reports that um, come out usually about twice a year 
Um, and it's a bunch of scientists who are coming together and they're, they're talking about like what the, the future is going to look like. Um, and they're just like a lot of, I, a lot of people like they don't read the full report. You don't usually have to, but there'll be like a breakdown from different, um, like newspapers that you can read and they'll just have like certain facts that are like, I guess, good to keep in mind. Um, oftentimes they're ones that are like, if we don't, uh, limit warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius, like X, Y, and Z are going to happen. Um, so that's, um, they're just like check-ins, I guess, that are predictions about like what the climate crisis is going to look like and how it will unfold. Um, so last question, Emma. Um, Fridays for Future, as you've described, has been really active in New York, but also active around the world. Uh, recently, we screened a film in Montreal, for example, called Dear Future Children, which shows the activists in Kampala and Uganda with Fridays for Future. Uh, of course, um, with, um, you know, activists in Sweden, where it started, you know, it, it's been, you know, consistently taking the streets. Uh, but yeah, can you just talk about how it is for you um, to be part of this global movement? I'm sure that you coordinate with students around the world. How, how has that process been for you? Yeah, I, I absolutely love that it's an organization that has so many chapters and that you can connect with activists from, from everywhere. Um, I remember after the March 25th strike, I connected with a bunch of different activists over social media, um, one in Stockholm, uh, there was one, I think, in Nigeria. Um, and it's just, it's so nice to know that there are people everywhere doing this, even when you feel like maybe your strike is small or um, like there aren't a lot of people where you are, just remembering that there are people all over the world and that you're part of this huge community of people fighting together um, can be really empowering. Awesome. Thanks for your time today. Yeah, thank you so much. That was a conversation with Emma Barata, who is an organizer with Fridays for Future in New York City. I thought it would be interesting to touch base with a youth activist who has been involved in climate justice protests, organizing within high schools um, in the New York City area. Students in New York were one of the centers of organizing for Fridays for Future that was taking place across the world, but there was major protests in New York in the lead up to the pandemic. And these organizing networks sustained in many ways during the pandemic, although the public facing street level mobilizations weren't able to take place, students did keep in touch and are now planning a series of actions and mobilizations uh, for climate justice. So I thought it would be important to speak with Emma about both her reflections on the climate justice movement and student organizing, how it was affected by the pandemic, the mobilization just before the pandemic, what it looked like, how it took place on the ground in New York within high schools, and looking forward, what's going on. So thank you so much to Emma for joining Free City Radio this week. I'm Stefan Christoph. I share a new episode every week and thank you for listening. Free City Radio broadcasts on CKUT 90.3 FM in Montreal, on CJLO uh, 1690 AM in Montreal, on CKUW in Winnipeg Treaty 1 territory at 
101.9 FM and on CFRC in Kingston at 101.9 FM. You can find us on SoundCloud. Uh, our archives are there at soundcloud.com slash freecityradio. We are also available through Spotify and iTunes. You can subscribe in either of those places to this program as a podcast. And uh, it's a pleasure to share a new episode with you every week. I'm Stefan Christoph, and thank you for listening. And to go out on the program today, I'm going to feature a piece of music by Aidan Gert, uh, who has released a number of projects during the pandemic called OSB, various titles. You can check it out at o3-s3-b.bandcamp.com. And this is a track called There is Enough Food on This Planet to Feed Everyone Twice. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week and take care.
Yeah.